You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. We're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Castro in Phoenix, Arizona, and Liam Madigan-Fried. I'm sorry, Aaron, you're not in Phoenix. You're more like someplace else, right? Tempe. Phoenix is good. And uh, Liam Poach is down in Houston. I apologize, guys. Uh, Josh Redland is over in our comments section. He is moderating, as always, taking your comments and questions, all that good stuff. So be sure to hit him up throughout the show. So with all that said, guys, how was your week? Um, well, now my watch has ended. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> that uh, later um, in, like, at the end. But uh, so what else went down? Um, you know? Um, I guess in the world. Oh, here's a good one. Um, apparently, we're in a trade war with China, and we're going to start a shooting war with Iran. That's going to be great. Uh, yeah, I and, uh, good, good recall notice. So I can go. Yep, good thing none of us are in the prime freaking drafting age, right? Good. Well, I'm somehow. Well, I'm sort of still in the army, so. Um, just, just issue my recall notice. I'll be, I'll be glad to return to active duty if we are actually going to do this thing. If we're not, let's just shut the hell up and, uh, let, let me get back to rugby, please. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if anybody wants to come invade the United States, I will gladly join up, but, uh, ain't going to fight for no Earl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, not a whole lot happening in Iowa. Uh, we're just watching the rainfall, so that's our big thing. Uh, Liam, I think you're kind of with me down there in Texas. Sounds like a, a rough one today for you guys, too. Dude, the humidity is ridiculous right now. I'm, I'm kind of fading in and out. My, <laughs> our, our weather went from, um, went from like approaching like the doldrums of summer to amazing. Um, <laughs> It's it's it was only like 82 today, uh, the high, and it was just it wasn't really humid. It was like 30 percent. It was just delicious. Yeah, but don't you guys like have your cars get melted and stuff like that in the summer? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna happen in about you know, three weeks or so. I think so. It's gonna be it's gonna be rough. That, that was the thing. And when we moved, I guess uh, in February. A garage was a, a big, a big decider on where we moved to because, you know, got to keep them cars nice and clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I used to have a film professor who said, like, when uh, he grew up in northern Arizona, and he, like, it was just commonplace to have a towel in your car just to put over the steering wheel and just so you could actually grip it when you wanted to drive. Yes, yes. Or while you were parked. I, you say garage I feel like that's one thing uh, we have in common where uh, up here we look for garages to keep the snow off us during the winter. Yeah. And down there you keep the uh, garages to keep the heat off the car during the summer. So we're the same, you and I. Again, to prevent it from melting. That's a reality in Arizona. <laughs> like not the entire car, but bumpers and stuff. <laughs> 
Uh, so now that we've wasted a Game of Thrones amount of time bullshitting, Aaron, what yeah, we got coming up on this episode? Well, the Swamp Donkeys got upset by the um, so that was that was actually a really cool game. We'll get into that. Uh, Seattle just, you know, they 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 jumped up out of the ocean and they ate some birds. Um, but however, it was not a scoring record for Major League Rugby, which I found interesting. It almost, I mean, two more two more tries and it would have been delicious for everyone in the league because I think we would have passed the scoring record. Oh, two converted tries and we definitely would have. Um, a battered legion solidify their position beating the Warriors um, and New York. They're they're back in playoff contention with their victory this weekend, their bonus point victory, um, which was much needed for them. But uh, we'll talk about why that, you know, may not be the path um, towards enlightenment. I guess I should say before we get too far into the show that we are Ear Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast, and we do this each and every Monday night uh, where we discuss news, rumors, and everything about Major League Rugby, the United States uh, Professional Rugby Union. It's our chance to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and check in with our friends from across the U.S. rugby scene. So uh, let's start things off with that uh, in mind and talk about the thriller in Nolilla. Uh, yeah, Sabercats. Guys, uh, Liam, <laughs> Liam, they won. The uh, final score was 27-20. Uh, Sabercats over Nola Gold. Tell me about it. God, sorry about that. Yeah, I... I, I was I was reading from my uh, my notes and I didn't notice stuff because you know, but uh, anyway, to talk about rugby, what can I say? Uh, the guys played their best and most complete game of the season. Uh, some head-to-head stats for you guys: Houston, fantastic, sixty-one percent possession advantage, along with a sixty-two percent rate in territory. Uh, 867 total meters for the Sabercats. So not exactly eye-popping, but 174 of those meters were accounted by Joshua Vithi alone. And uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more later. Uh, they ended the night with a pretty good average uh, meters per pass of 4.4. Uh, Nola, meanwhile, 436 total meters gained, which, you know, big big testament to Houston's improved defense. Nola's usually an offense that can really rack up those meters just on line breaks alone. Uh, Nola went home with an average MVP of about 3.9, 4.0, call it what you will if you want to round up, which is, either way, is pretty below the league average of about 5.0. Their leader on the ground was Tristan Blewett, only 58 meters in this game, which is definitely below his average, but he still was able to secure a try, which, you know, definitely not unusual for the Blewett man. Uh, Houston... Very, you know, much improved defense in this one, especially inside the 22, and it's a big reason why they came away with this in victory. Uh, but what got the, what really got them over the top, though, was line speed, line speed, line speed. We saw a much bigger focus, uh, you know, from the Sabercats on getting the balls to the outside, offloading in tight windows, and most importantly, giving the ball to Joshua Vitti uh, as many times as they would give the ball to Jonah Lamo. Lamo. Uh, as you know, it, it's the, probably the most he's the most dynamic player on this team in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of players on this team who are just as skilled, but you can't really match it when it comes to his his, his edge in both the uh, in the, both the defensive and offensive phases of the game. 
Josh, uh, he didn't manage to find the end goal, um, unfortunately, but he, he was probably more so responsible for setting up two out of the three tries for Houston on the night. Uh, really a lot of stuff to look at in this game. Um, really two two different things for me. From front to back, there was connection with this team. Um, they, I would say, uh, you know, people talk about mental, uh, mentally, mental fitness, uh, you know, it, not like mental health, but mental fitness, like recovery systems and all that fun mumbo, psycho mumbo jumbo. It actually is important because, you know, and I'll honest, like they were also more physically fit. Uh, people might say different, but like if you look at the way they've been playing games, I know that, you know, they, they are fit players and they've done a lot of fitness, especially in the preseason. But if you look at just how sluggish they've been, uh, you know, Early in the season, when you had a team like Glendale that was able to, uh, you know, concede 40 some points, even go down 32 to 0 to the Sabercats and then score 50 some points, uh, you know, on the runaway to win that game. This was different. Like, um, this was probably the only game. This, yeah, this was the only game of the weekend where the, uh, the losing side actually had to tackle more than the the winning side uh, most uh, which is sort of going against the phenomenon that we had earlier on in the season which was all of the losing sides had to tackle a heck of a lot more than the winning side and and that goes into uh, the territory game but really uh, the the field position game for the Sabercats was um, I wouldn't say negated because they didn't really kick put the ball in play, but Nola didn't put the ball in play a lot either. And they also didn't get a lot of good uh, coverage on those kicks. They didn't like, yes, 13 kicks for 377 meters. That sort of sounds good sometimes, but if you just look at uh, the passes they've made, the turnovers conceded, uh, it, it, they, a lot of the Sabercats' territory was was a lot of positive territory gained inside the fifty uh, in the opposition, which was really good for them. They made they had uh, their gain line percentage compared to New Orleans seventy one sixty one. Uh, one of the things that they definitely did work on, which was sort of similar to what Glendale does, is a high ball movement attack. Uh, if you look at the pass differential, there was over 70 more passes for the Sabercats on this game. Uh, you know, turnovers, one of the reasons why it was so close is that they gave up the ball a lot. But so did the goal. Uh, but still a, um, what was it, a 7 to 10 turnover ratio. Uh, and also when it came to penalties, the penalties were even. But uh, one of the, there's a theme that I'll get into tonight about this one, though, is set-piece attack and uh, good old, I'm going to say success, and making that not a 50-50 thing. Uh, the set-piece attack for the Sabercats, which they've struggled a bit in the lineup, but really just been dominant in the scrum. They've won 100% of their scrum. 100% of their lineups. Uh, they, they got in the way of 
Nola's line out uh, with one. They stole one. I'm bringing Nola's line out to 93%. But where they really did damage was that six. Nola only had 63% of uh, their scrums one. And uh, so I guess I, I said it earlier in the season, Santiago Arata. I said he was worth at least two wins. I said he was worth two wins. And this this goes into uh, Ben Darwin is this guy that runs a company called Gameline Analytics, and he didn't respond to me. Ben, get back to me. I know you're out there lurking. But uh, I want to somehow create the war metric in rugby because this really – this does exist. Like There are players that have wins above replacement, and he's one of those guys – at scrum half, where you know he's pro- he's if he were American, he'd probably be the starting scrum half for the Eagles. It's I'm I'm pretty pretty sure. I that opinion also comes from some other people, but if you watch him, especially in the ARC, he'd definitely be the top scrum half in Canada. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, well. Well, well, one of the things I mentioned when, uh, you know, a little bit earlier is that, you know, the Cats won this game with line speed. And when you look at uh, Santiago Arata's quick ball rate in this game, I think it was around 74%, if, I, uh, if I'm correct. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what his rate was that was because Seven. you guys only – you guys, like, slowed it down a lot. You guys had a quick ball percentage of 56 Fifty-six percent. Well, honestly, but but, uh, but you know, as I mentioned, inside tight windows, I felt like the line speed was a whole lot quicker, just in terms of you know fluidity. And I think that Santi, you know, when he had you know a clean platform out of the set piece, he set that up perfectly, uh, you know, for for them to be able to execute. Uh, they've had problems, especially with depth uh, at times, you know, co- like coming out of the set piece, which I thought was a you know not that much, not that as big of an issue uh, in this game. So, so, um, most, so most teams haven't been like Austin. So just looking at the – so their glow percentage uh, for for New Orleans, and this is the only time I can recall that it's been under 50%. Uh, like uh, Sabercats held the uh, game line over percentage of New Orleans to 46%. That is – that's insane, considering, like, think about where this attack was going and how this attack played. Uh, and even in this game, they still played pretty well. Like, they had those those moments to where you – there was a reason why they were, you know, within, you know, shooting distance at the end. They, they got the, the losing bonus point, and they sort of just, like, took it because, man, that – the line speed on defense of the Sabercats – uh, the, it, it was, I would say it was improved against New York, but it wasn't this, like, this is very, this is very San Diego, like a couple weeks ago before they had a bunch of injuries. It was just really intense. It was really good. Uh, I wonder what it's going to look like, uh, this week. Uh, Joshua Vithi, uh, he shredded that defense. And one of the things that was interesting for him is he always looked uh, to the interior rather and to find support instead of just forcing a gap or really even finding space. And when you think, when you think about it in that context and putting the team first and he still gained 174 meters, ridiculous. Uh, honestly, uh, like I said, 
battered uh, and disrupted that flying attack of the gold. So a really good complete game for the Sabercats following some big changes uh, towards the, in the last quarter of the season. Uh, and congratulations to uh, interim coach and uh, also, I guess, interim forwards coach. Uh, so interim head coach, a cactus, Paul Emmerich. And Darren Morris is the interim forwards coach for uh, the, the Sabercats. He is a British and Irish Lion and a Welsh international, really good guy. Uh, good to see him get being able to get involved uh, with um, Major League Rugby. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it was a surprise all the way across. So great game and good for the Sabercats to finally pull uh, pull a big scalp there. So. Uh, next up, we had Seattle traveling to Glendale, and uh, if if this if the outcome wasn't so much a surprise, certainly the scoreline was to me. Um, Seattle thumped them, uh, beating beating Glendale fifty three to thirty six. Uh, Aaron, start us off on this one. I'm just gonna look at my prediction. Yeah, I wow, that was way off but it was definitely correct uh so yeah this was a weird one but if you're a fan of points this is your game jp smith last outing at fly half though was pretty awful the last time ben Seymour was injured uh he hurt but this time he earned the start of scrum half over phil mack uh which he had started at scrum half over phil mack against new york uh and he showed uh you know he he had really good command of the attack as as a nine but the concussion to Ben Sima in, I think, a minute two or three uh, in the early part of this match led to a big shift in how this attack was going to run. Phil Mack comes in to play scrum half, and JP just goes on this rampage at fly half, uh, showing you know his tank main gun for a leg with these booming kicks to put Glendale in some weird field position early on uh, in that first half. Uh, Glendale, you know, they did a lot of work uh, in the scrum. They were okay. They weren't amazing. Um, but uh, I guess uh, when you look at, did, did some of Glendale's guys still get theirs? Yeah, Ryberg had 200 meters. DTS had 120 meters. Uh, both had a lot of high involvements with line breaks and offloads. Uh, but but the defense for Seattle really shut down the Raptors in a way that they really haven't been able to do. Like what their defense did the Seawall last year, um, they haven't really done that. Even against New York, which they did batter New York pretty hard, it was still a relatively close game. Um, it looked to me that the Raptors were be like I said, did reach some parity with. Seattle in the scrum because uh, they, they won 100% of their scrums where it really didn't matter. And this goes into the set piece. I keep, I'm going to talk about the set piece all, all show. Uh, uh, Seattle won 100% of their lineups and they forced Glendale with two steals to a 75% rating. Uh, penalties, uh, turnovers, uh, penalties. Uh, they had two more infringements for Glendale, so really not uh, a crazy thing for them. But the difference was in turnovers conceded. Even though they had this really high ball movement attack, it didn't really work out for them because they coughed up the ball and sort of uh, in a different way looked like if it wasn't against Seattle, uh, it would have looked different. 
but I also don't think they would have been forced into that many turnovers. Still a two to one ratio of 14 to seven turnovers is going to make that attack sputter and was definitely a big reason behind why they lost this game. But also uh, we, we did talk about the seawall a little bit. Uh, they, they made a lot more tackles than Glendale. 186 to 131, so a 55 tackle difference. Um, they missed a bunch more, and their tackle made percentage is actually lower. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what sort of happens when the other team puts up 200 more meters than you. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, it, it was really, really came down to turnovers and set piece. Interesting. Um, this was sort of similar to the Sabercats versus New Orleans game in quick ball rates uh, versus uh, the winning side. Glendale had a 71% quick, quick ball rate and Seattle only 50%. I think for, depending on what you're trying to do, I, I don't think, uh, you know, grinding it down to like 50% uh, is really is really that good. I can understand being in the 70% range if you're trying to play field position and, and you know, just time of possession. Uh, but, uh, you know, even though they scored 50 points, if they bring up that attacking rate and, we would see something a bit different because this this attack from Seattle looked really good. As one of the Glendale Raptors have now fallen victim to uh, my age-old nemesis, and that is known as math, because they are at the complete and utter mercy of math in order to to, uh, to get into the playoffs. Uh, they not only Aaron, I think you explained it like you know on the on our email thread at some points. They need to win out. And then they need San Diego to lose out, and then I think they need a Thanos snap or something like that. You know, well, it's, it's, not San, it's not San Diego. It's not San Diego losing out, but I think they need both. They need to win out, and New New York needs to lose both. It's like New York needs to lose both games, and one of the I think like they need to win. And it's the uh, it's the game that they play Toronto in, right? This weekend. They need to win this game with a bonus point. And yes, Thanos probably needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot riding on the uh, on, on these next couple of matches for Glendale. Uh, no surprise there, though. I, I, I Honestly, I've been saying since we were quarter way through the season that I think Glendale was going to mi- ultimately miss the playoffs. They definitely... I don't want to say that they're a, le- a less complete team than they were a year ago. You know, they they, def- they, they added Hanko. I think Mika Cruze has kind of come into his own. But I think the depth of competition in Major League Rugby and, you know, the increased fitness and, you know, attention to detail, especially when it comes to stuff like film study, I think, you know, Glendale is no longer at the forefront in USA Rugby on all of that I, stuff. And I think that's I what think, they're doing a lot more. I think what they really... The, the thing that's really affected them and, and sort of in the same way that is affecting NOLA right now is they did not get better up front. Uh, I, you know, for a period of time, I didn't think Seattle got good and did add enough pieces, but it, it shows that, that, that cohesion, like that core that they had, plus a little, you know, little extra pepper on top was enough and it is enough. And they're going to, you know, they, they have a shot at even making a two seed in the playoffs, which will be very interesting compared to, especially with the firepower they've added with Jake Yelnicki, Samu Manoa, 
and Jeffrey Hassler. Like they've 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 brought in they brought in like their, their benches. In the they, their benches, you know, uh, could start. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but the, I would say the team that didn't really didn't add enough talent to places that it needed talent was Glendale because they're missing. They're missing the lineup. I think, I think, I think and, the Honko signing kind of overshadowed that fact too, because I think you know yeah. when it's not Honko Hammerschein, you're like, oh well, they they won free agency, but you know Hanko Hanko has a high work rate. He had a bunch of he had a bunch of great success earlier on in the season, but he's also he's been out for like four weeks. So and they've lost games in that period. So yes, it it only but if if only if they're one injury away. But Hanko was still not where their weakness was. Like they had strong back row. So that, you know, they're uh like yeah, they've 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 got a lot of shit to work on uh going for next season. No, most definitely. And honestly, I thought this game was in a pretty pretty reasonable margin for Glendale, you know, right up until like the middle of the second half. Eventually it just kind of became clear that Glendale Glendale's defense for whatever reason they just weren't responding to the Seawolf. Uh, they just weren't responding well to the Seawolf attack and either their defensive shifts or than their tackling. Uh, this doesn't look like a team that's going to do well in a playoff uh, rematch, you know, should that potentially happen. Uh, in the head-to-head with in, in the head-to-head with, uh, uh, with the stat report, uh, 50-50 split, you know, pr- uh, pretty surprising in the in both the possession advantage and in territory. Um, considering the high score, I guess not too surprising, but just not very often you see something like that. Uh, when it comes to meters gain, Glendale came out with 1,072 total with an average MVP of 5.4. Uh, however, what needs to be taken into account, especially when you guys have when you have guys like Tony Ryberg and DTS on the roster with four and three of these apiece, is the 13 line breaks that these, this team had. Uh, I'm not sure how many of Glendale's meters we can really chalk up to efficiency of their system, and how much of it is it just kind of purely purely the result of athletic prowess getting. I don't want to say getting lucky, but you know what I mean. Okay, but, but, but is this one of those games where you consider that Glendale probably picked up like 300 meters in garbage? Because that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, because like, so Johnny Ryberg had four line breaks. Um, I don't have the stat report up up with me, but I'm pre- I'm pretty sure Mika had one. DTS had three, and uh, and the, the, I think I think the, yeah, there was 13 line breaks total in the game. So I I think that you know that it's pretty safe to say that. There, there, there was some uh, there was some garbage meters. Uh, they had a they had a, uh, I think I had the average MPP around here. Uh, what did I say? It was five point four. So not ridiculously high, especially when you compare that to Seattle's uh, MPP of six point six uh, with eight hundred and two meters on the ground. So you know, so, so so whatever it was with Glendale, Seattle was just more efficient either way. Uh, you take a closer look at the stat sheet. Five players between the two teams went over 100 meters gained in this game. Uh, Ryberg led the way with 200 even of his own, uh, while Stoller and Hatting for Seattle led the way with 114 and 104, respectively. So a lot of big runs, a lot of production in this game in terms of meters on the ground, You know, hence the high score. Glendale, they're still a talented, competitive team, but losing this one I think is going to be ultimately what cost them their trip to the postseason. Yeah, well, yeah, once again, you know, Glendale, it's tough because you can never completely count them out, but certainly they are not looking like the team they were last season, so that's for sure. 
So third matchup of the weekend saw San Diego traveling to Utah. And uh, this one was uh, still pretty close. Was, you know, uh, San Diego won by 10 points, 31 to 21. That's a little closer than I think I thought it was going to be anyway. Um, uh, Liam, I think you're going to lead us off and tell us what happened this time. Yeah. So Mikey Teow, you dog, you savage, you cold-hearted, talented USA rugby fullback legend. If any of those watching or listening at home uh, don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Mikey Teow's game ceiling pick five in this match's dying seconds that put to bed any hope that Utah had him come back in that all-elusive third win for them. But believe me, the score was a lot closer than it looks because it felt like Utah was bringing the heat all game. And honestly, a win kind of seemed reasonable at some points. Uh, head-to-head, Utah came out on top in both possession and advantage with 54 and 58% respectively. Not any eye-popping numbers when it comes to meters gained. Utah just slightly edging the Legion 558 meters to 515 for San Diego. Uh, however, one notable difference in San Diego's MPP uh, was 6.0, uh, marginally higher than Utah's a 4.0. Uh, one metric I can hardly look away from, though, and it's no wonder this game was so close to the very end, 13 penalties conceded by San Diego compared to just five from Utah. So you got to give them credit. Utah didn't want to beat themselves. And, and they, and for all intents and purposes, they didn't beat themselves. It just kind of seems at least in this game, this time, they got beat by better strategy. And, you know, the number one defense in the league, number five attack, I believe. Eh, I'll, I'll give it to them. It was close. So, uh, but I think we can put to bed the Thompson and Mavuvu idea of them playing this season. Yes, no, maybe so. But here's why. So, uh, Adam Thompson, um, right? Adam, not Andrew, right? Um, the All Black, is recovering from a spinal infection that he suffered in the second half of 2018. And Revu just had his first child last month in Fiji. Congratulations, my man. Good for you and your wife. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't, whatever a good blessing is, uh, you know, may your child grow um, very tall and strong so that they can be a lock. Uh you know, so I think these guys were definitely announced uh, when they were announced sort of to like, hey, you know, we've got really strong players coming in for next season. And, uh, you know, like, you know, this is just a dip. Uh, I have to look at how even this game was. And I suppose how uneven it was. San Diego made the game line 90% more than Utah did. They, they were more efficient. They had more kicking meters. And it's just how they play. They put they they put the ball in play for a chip and chase, and they put the ball in play, and then they kick far uh, to make you come out of your own twenty-two uh, set pieces. Again, I'm going to talk about this one. If you get dominated the scrum and line out, it's going to be a bad day at the office. Utah continues to struggle in both the scrum and in the lineout. Lineout very weird because they've met Jensen, a six foot eight, massively tall gazelle. Um, that can go up, but they don't really use him that effectively. Um, you know, and it's just kind of weird. They, you know, yeah, they made a nuisance of themselves, but they did not get any line out steals. Uh, scrum versus whatnot, 86% uh, to 67%. Uh, 
uh, on the uh, the differential there. Uh, honestly, it was a fairly dominant game, um, but we, we've sort of seen it this before from other teams to where they just won't, you know, they won't, they'll leave somebody in. Um, they'll, they'll leave this for chance. And that's because of those infringements. Holy frick. 15 to 5. The turnovers were even 10 to 10. So uh, they just, San Diego just stayed in their way. Their lack of discipline caught up with them. It, you know, it's going to stop you from rolling. Uh, Pat Blair got a yellow in the second half, which saw something interesting. Hey, guys, they did not lose a scrum that was there put in with Dino Waldron hooking. How do you like that? <laughs> I did not know Dino Waldron could hook. Good for him. Uh, uh, you know, I, I thought this was a fit Utah side and in San Diego, it definitely wasn't. If you look at this roster, they had a bunch of guys out that they were resting or were hurt. Uh, Joe Peterson had a dead leg from the previous game and they were just, they said, let's go Ty." And I guess ty has been kicking. Okay. In practice, uh, because he, uh, had, Three kicks in this game for conversions and missed two of them pretty badly, uh, which, did, you know, overall that didn't work out, but he must be kicking in practice, right? Also, let's talk about goal kickers taking 90 seconds. I know that's the law, but uh, he almost got eaten by Matt Jensen twice by taking the full amount of time. Um, uh, hmm. If San Diego cleaned themselves up on those penalties, it really wouldn't have been that close of a game, I think. And uh, looking, we were talking about line speed and defense. This is more similar to that Sabercats game in that they had more tackles. They actually had a higher tackle percentage uh, than than Utah. So uh, very, very interesting game to to an extent to see how – Utah, how San Diego would come out. Uh, that San Diego actually didn't use a lot of their bench. Think about how many guys were left on the bench. Kyle Rogers, Will Holder, Devin Short, and Aaron Mitchell. So they only had three guys come off the bench. Honestly, that lineup of guys could start for the Austin Elite right now and make them marginally better. <laughs> no offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's That's – I mean, that's kind of true. Uh, you know, Devin Short would be value-added. C.L.C. Mahoney, I think, would be value-added. Uh, Aaron Mitchell would be value-added. Uh, but, yeah, and, you know, they didn't really get uh, – Utah really didn't get the needed stuff out of their substitutions. All right. The last matchup of the weekend was Austin going to New York City to face off against Rooney. And uh, this one, this one was probably the least surprising out of the entire weekend, I'd say. Uh, yeah, Rooney pretty well oh, handled that, <laughs> uh, winning twenty-seven to seven over the Austin Elite. So, Aaron, start us off with some analysis on this one. Um, so Liam and I were sort of chit-chatting on the, our email thread. Was this the most boring game? I almost took a nap. It, it was 100% the most boring game, and I not only had to watch it once, I had to watch it twice because I had to edit the damn thing this morning. So, and I'll, I'll get this. I'll, I'll get to this like when I get to, you know when I say my thing about it. It was just a very inconsistent game, and it just it just wasn't the excitement that you want from a rugby game. 
So turnover after turnover. Let's start with some positives. So Austin made the game line compared to last week when they didn't. <laughs> uh, New York scored a bonus point, but gosh, did it look ugly. Uh, this is going to be a tough take for obviously Austin has a shit ton of stuff to work on going into next season. Last year, they had a decent attack, but no defense. And this year, they have a relatively decent attack, but no attack whatsoever. Really. Uh, when I think about injuries, Austin changed their dynamic more so when it, than any other team in the league. By doing this, it had a negative effect on, you know, come game time. Uh, they, they stayed committed to their foreign players that they had signed instead of looking at domestic options when they ran into injuries. Uh, thing is that full-time model uh, will be in greater use in Season 3, so maybe the early adoption uh, will work out for them, but they definitely needed to bring in more. Bring they definitely need to bring in more North American qualified players, so Canadian or Amer uh, American doesn't matter, uh, so that they just have players available. Um, Sunal Takazawa, he's a pretty good prop, I think. Like he had he had an impact for the thirty minutes he was on on the line. I thought uh, so. New York, did you guys? Did, did you guys go party the night before? Because you looked hung over. Um, that's probably because Austin played sort of decent defense, but it, it was just, just still sluggish. Uh, As somebody who played at NVU, Lyndon, I can personally attest to what a hungover team looks like, and mm, I quite agree. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was so sluggish. I they they gave up the ball. A lot, yeah. Not that Austin could do anything with it, but it certainly made it a lot. It made the game look a lot closer. Uh, but um, another way to lose a game is to lose twenty five percent of your scrums and thirty three percent of your lineouts. That is, that is Austin for you. So set piece, set piece, set piece has been a theme this week. However, I mean, they've, they've got some guys that can jackal. They've got four breakdown steals. They had a faster quick ball rate. And yet, when you make more turnovers and more, more penalties, it's even though the game is sluggish, it's, you're still going to lose. For the most part, unless you're San Diego. <laughs> unless you're San Diego. Wales vagina. So, wholeheartedly agree with you, Aaron. This is one of the most boring rugby matches I had ever watched. Like I said, editing this game this morning, and I felt like it was a really inconsistent uh, just watching experience. Uh, it, honestly, I don't think I saw a whole lot of phases or a whole lot of drives that have lasted past four or five phases. So, that was probably a big thing that was bothering me. Uh, in the head-to-head -head statistics, Rooney came away with 56% possession advantage along with 55% mark in territory play. Uh, Rooney managed just a little bit over 800 meters, by which I mean 801 meters with an MPP of 5.0, while Austin came away up with uh, 642 meters and an MPP of 5.5. Huge aspect that made this game so damn inconsistent. Double-digit turnovers, as Aaron uh, mentioned. New York, they gave it away 16 times, while Austin up that with 18. Uh, so definitely, no. You would think that nobody's going to gain a clear advantage in a game like that. But New York's uh, pretty. Uh, I think it's number two ranked defense. I think this is the uh, they kind of made sure that margin stayed in their favor. The game's leading rusher, surprisingly, coming from Austin, by the way, of the ever underrated Zinzan Elon Puttick, 
with 120 total meters. Uh, the next closest for the game was Will Leonard from New York with 94 total meters. Uh, not much more you can really say about this game other than New York really needed this win uh, with their playoffs hopes on the line, but it's not like a whole lot of people expected a different result. Yeah, that's absolutely true, which will be borne out in uh, our results review here right now. So with that said, uh, this is the part of the show where we like to go through and uh, honor our failures and celebrities, which off the top, not only, Liam, did you get this one right as far as your win pick for the first game, you got it right on the money with your guess for point spread, too. So hey, good so work, my friend. Is, is it the only game that I got right on the money this week? Um, uh, I think there was another one. Yeah, there was one. Yep, there was. There is a second one. Indeed. Two out of four were exactly right. You should need to go to Vegas. Take this take this action on the road, man. <laughs> okay, first up, um, we had Sabercats traveling to New Orleans. They won 27 to 20. Aaron, you had New Orleans by 15. Liam had Houston by 7. And I had Nola by 20. So good work, Liam. All right. Uh, second game of the weekend was Seattle at Glendale. Uh, Aaron, you had Seattle by three. Liam, you had Seattle by ten. I had Glendale by five. Wow. Considering any of us for being close on this one, I'll just say I was the furthest off. So I'll go ahead and take that one. Uh, then we had uh, Sabercat or San Diego at Utah. Excuse me, and we all picked. Uh, correctly on that one we said san diego aaron you had him by 15 uh liam you had him by 21 and i was on the money with saying by 10 and then last game of the weekend here's liam's other perfect shot was austin elite at rooney aaron you had him um final score was 7 to 27 in rooney's favor and aaron you had rooney by 10 liam had rooney by 20 i had rooney by 22 so can't it's only that. It's only disrespectful if you're wrong when you guess a margin like that. <laughs> uh, so to that, um, adding to that, Liam uh, offers these the following uh, lotto pick numbers for the week. And they are 3, 6, 11, and 45. <laughs> so uh, once again, that's 3, 6, 11, 45. Uh, go ahead and lay your money down now, fellas. Uh, real quick, we also had. The... I swear to God, if a listener wins the lottery, I will actually walk into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, if somebody wins off those um, th those numbers, can they just like send us 150 bucks for our uh, web hosting for next year? Since that bill is coming due soon. <laughs> That's all we need. We don't need a million. We just need 150 bucks. It's not that hard. All right. Um, real quick, we should probably uh, hit on uh, the exhibition match that uh, Old Glory DC hosted as well against, um, I believe, a club, right? Uh, Shannon? Yeah. So so Shannon RFC is one of the older clubs in Ireland. Uh, they're like 137 years old, I think. Um, Josh can fact check me on that one because he threw it out there on, on Reddit. Uh, so 22 to 26, but it was like 3 to 26 like 10 going into the half and it, it really looked like Shannon was going to run away with this, but good Lord, did they fall apart. That, that was probably one of the, like they really fell apart. Uh, and this probably explains why they got relegated from the top division of 
be all Ireland League. Yeah, that's a hot take, but they, I mean, they, they, they outmatched Old Glory physically completely throughout the entire game and then just started playing like crap. So, you know. And, oh, the other, other hot take, this was mentioned. Yo, you got you guys got to get better fitting kit. Every every single player was wearing a tent. Yeah, it looked it looked like PRO uniforms, dude. I just I, I just have this image of uh, Jamie McIntosh's jersey hanging off him like a child's like pickup rugby jersey or something like that. Just, they must have or, they ordered like a size too big for Jamie freaking McIntosh. Uh, I'm talking about PRO, by the way, a few years ago, just in terms of really crappy uniforms, but in terms of this game, uh, wasn't able to watch this game, um, you know, or fully, I've saw a few highlights, but anytime an MLR club can hang with that kind of, you know, within that kind of point margin with the European sign aside, it's a good sign. So especially knowing this club is ultimately going to sign a few MLR vets along the way. So hopefully it uh, looks like D- old glory DC will be competitive in 2020 or hopefully. And um, I should have pulled this up, and I apologize I didn't, but they do have a series of exhibitions coming up in the next few months uh, on June. So they play, they play the Scottish under-20s this weekend. It might not. It might be a bloodbath. It might be, but, hey, it's it's good practice, right? Marginally and physically. <laughs> so, Aaron, uh, take us through the standings in MLR after week 17. So, really, it... it I think we can say that San Diego will have a home playoff game. Um, they currently sit atop the league, with 11 wins, three losses, and one draw, uh, and they have 57 table points. Uh, Nola currently sits in second. I don't. There is a scenario that could see them fall out, but I don't see them not having enough bonus points to to stay in and I wouldn't be surprised if they win one of the next two, but I definitely know it's not going to be their, their, their last game against San Diego because San Diego is going on a bye and they will be rested and they will want to be informed for the playoffs. Um, but at nine and five with 52 table points is second new Orleans gold at third is 10 and four Seattle Seawolves with 51 table points and tied with wins, but not in bonus points, is the Rooney Roosters, uh, 10 and 4, with 49 team points. They just edged out Toronto with that bonus point win. Uh, Toronto, um, we'll see them in the final week of the season. So I think uh, the playoff actually goes through Toronto um, in general. So if Toronto win, they're in, and New York is not. Uh, basically, there is also a scenario that Glendale could somehow win, but yeah, I don't see that. I don't see them getting in. Um, so nine and five with forty-eight title points at fifth. Um, Glendale at seven, five and two, forty-three table points in sixth. In uh, somehow, some way, uh, the Utah Warriors at two eleven and one with seventeen table points, um, or in. Seventh, Houston Sabercats. I think this will shift uh, unless things dramatically change this weekend. Um, at three and ten, uh, with fifteen table points, is the Houston Sabercats, and continuing on the undefeated streak at zero and fourteen with only four table points is 
Austin Elite Rugby at in ninth. Again, we we gotta stop saying undefeated. Just call it Hugh Jacksoning. <laughs> Very good. And um, so, just as for uh, some perspective here, we've got two two weeks left of the regular season, and then we go into playoffs uh, starting on Saturday, June eighth. So we are close. We are. I mean, this is this is it, guys. So we got. Get some stuff going here. If, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to go very, very quickly. Season two, we're staring down the barrel, or we're at the end of the barrel, I guess. Bottom, bottom, unzi barrel. All right, so let's talk preview for this coming weekend, week 18 of the competition. And things start off on Saturday, uh, where Austin travels to Houston. Aaron, what's your prediction here? Uh, Houston by 15. Um, I, I think uh, Austin just is weird, so that's the only reason why it's going to be cl- relatively close, but it's not going to look close. I'm going to go Houston minus 12. Uh, I think Austin's going to bring a pretty competitive edge just to avoid the ultimate Hugh Jacksoning. However, Houston, we, we have our confidence up. I think we're operating at a really, uh, you know, a much higher level than we have been all season. No way we're dropping this one, but uh, knock on wood. Is this shitty piece of IKEA furniture even wood? It's. I mean, it's. It, it, probably, it is. It probably out has of, wood in you know, it. Like wood shavings. Uh, second up. Oh, so I'm sorry. I should have said um, the Austin at Houston game is at 6 p.m. Eastern. That is on CBS Sports Network. Um, okay, second game of the weekend. Goes to oh uh, by the way Houston I'm saying Houston by ten. Uh, second game of the weekend is Sunday, and that is at one p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. Nola Gold at Rooney. Aaron, what's your prediction on this one? Uh, New York minus three. I think uh, New Orleans gets at least one bonus point, maybe two. Uh, I, I know New York's defense is tightening up, but they just played. Austin and I, they, they didn't. I mean, Austin ain't good, and they didn't thump them. Like that scoreline was very, um, you know, it was nice, but it wasn't real per se. Well, just for the sake of uh, going against the grain and looking for that ultimate, you know, uh, sleeper pick when it comes to the end of the year uh, tally, I'm going to go with Nola on this one. I'm going to rely on the fact that their offense still has a lot of explosive elements to it that they can most definitely use to uh, take advantage of New York. Also, New York sometimes has been known to fall into a few trap games, especially when it comes to their offense not operating at the level that they're capable of. So I am going to go Rudy, uh, sorry, Nola, minus five. And on this one, I'm picking uh, the home team. I'm going to say Rooney by by seven. Uh, Second up on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus is Glendale at Toronto. Aaron? Wait. Are there like, oh gosh, no, really? Yeah, they're stacked. Uh, our, our, I'm co- so let's get real, guys. I'm good with these games. If you have three games on a Saturday, I'm good with it. We can do that. But man, this is a kick in the nat, the nads. Ugh. All right, well, 
you know, I guess I get sort of paid for this. <laughs> Splitting your labor, your yeah, Memorial Day weekend in half. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's that. Uh, I'm going Toronto minus five. This one. Um, they, they've got a better scrum. They've got a better line out. They've got some backs that can ball. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still going to be close. I can see Glendale getting at least one bonus point here. And, uh, I'm going to go against the grain one more time. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go against the grain one more time. I'm going to go Glendale on this one. Uh, just like NOLA, they still have some pretty explosive elements, uh, you know, to their roster. And uh, I also just – the end of the year point tally, man, I got to be different. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, Glendale minus six. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and say Toronto by three just because, um, especially the stumble Glendale had last week, I just, I'm just i just not sure they're going to bring their – they're bringing their A game right now. Final game of the weekend is 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern on ESPN+, Plus, and that is the Warriors at Seattle. Um, and I think we're all pretty well agreed on how this one's going to come out. But, hey, we'll see what happens. Aaron? Uh, ah, so, uh, yes. Good old Utah. Yeah, not happening. I'm going Sea Wolves minus ten for their home finale, which is sold out. So yeah, and you know they they're healthy right now, unlike San Diego was. So, um, but Utah Utah has some cohesion. So I can see them getting a try bonus point, but I don't think see them getting within uh, enough points to get two bonus points here. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to be going against the grain on this one. Definitely not. Uh, yeah, Seattle minus 10. I think Utah will keep it competitive. Again, it's going to be that effect where they want to avoid, you know, finishing with a possible 2-12 and 2-13-1 and 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 record or whatever the hell. Uh, yeah, so you uh, Seattle minus 10. Yeah, and I'm saying Seattle minus 12 on that one. Uh, it's just pretty straightforward. So, I mean, stranger things have happened. After all, you know, Houston won a game this weekend, so who knows? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, see, what, what I know and everybody else doesn't is that uh, Liam's having a headphone issues, and so he's he's staying muted a little bit more often than not this, this episode, which means I can taunt him and he can't just jump in and shout back at me. So it's time for my favorite part of the show. And uh, I know you guys love it too. It's time for questions from Bob. Um, as always, these questions are sourced from our Reddit page. Ah, so, sorry, I, I couldn't get to the unmute button fast enough. It's all good, my friend. Uh, so it's reddit.com slash r slash ml rugby. And we post uh, Sunday nights or Mondays uh, asking for submitted questions. And here's what we got this week. So USA Rugby Fan asks, how should I remove my NOLA MLR Championship 2019 tattoo? Uh, lasering painful. Uh, so get a cover up for when they win in 2020, 2021, 2022, whatever, whenever they win, you can get a cover up for that. There you go. You can totally just go the white trash route and just get something generic, like a skull or a friggin' eagle on top of a motorcycle with a bear and 
I don't, I don't know. Some, some, get something badass, man. <laughs> well, and my advice to you, USA Rugby fan, is don't do anything yet. Because as Seattle proved last year, they can drop two games during the regular season to an opponent and still beat them in the championship. So, you know what? You never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Bob B. Bobberson asks, what does Utah need to do to get over the hump and start winning these close games? Liam? Yep, sorry, I had to get to the damn mute, mute, mute button. Uh, basically, what Utah needs to do, uh, less penalties and turnovers and better execution inside the 22. Um, there's the, we always talk about how they look good but don't really get a whole lot accomplished, and that's a big, big issue is they just don't score because they don't do anything inside the 22. They need, they need space to operate, and there's not a lot of space inside the 22. Um, yeah. Scrum. Scrum, scrum, scrum. Okay. Utah Warriors, scrum. Conky2195 <laughs> uh, asks, what went wrong for Austin this season? An attack that works because it didn't. Injuries, sticking to foreign player contracts and not finding local guys for short-term deals. What went wrong? I'm kicking. I'm, I'm a Blink-182 head, uh, but yeah, uh, honestly, just injuries and the system and, you know, there's probably something to be said about not being able to attract local club talent to uh, to the team and to that environment. Uh, yeah, just, it was just really unfortunate because they have a lot of talent. What if I said that, that local talent wouldn't have helped? Based on just the lack of cohesion and the fact that they weren't most of that local talent wasn't signed by anyone else. There you go. So I think that's a myth. I really do. Well, so uh, I'll throw one out. Um, since we spent half the season complaining about coaching at Houston, why don't we say something about the coaching at Austin? I mean, Houston gave them cover, man. If they want to make a change, they, they got cover. Someone else made a change. All right. Jay Board Surfer. Having lost three of their last four and on the road to New York and San Diego at the end of the season, what are the odds Nola doesn't make the playoffs? Honestly, I don't I don't think it's very likely. I think Nola gets a, gets two, if not at least one more victory on the season to finish with ten wins. And I think ten wins is a pretty pretty safe ticket to the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're good. All right. Robert Gibbs won. If you could transfer just one player to each of the bottom three teams from any of the other six teams in the league to give them a better chance in 2020, who would that be? And if a car left New York traveling 55 miles an hour on its way to Boston... What color would that car be? <laughs> the engineer would be at least a size nine shoe, but I don't. I, I that's the only formula that I, that I know um, off the top shit, of my head. Shit brown would be the color of the car, and it would be smoking because, uh, well, it needs its mufflers checked. But the players would be Joe Peterson to Austin, um, because he's just a wizard. Uh, Brad Tucker to Utah. And Nate Brakely, Houston, who I got. 
All right. Um, so I, I really like that Nate, that Nate Brakely, uh, Brakely pick to Houston. I don't think our second row is as bad as Aaron uh, might consider it. However, I would go Tristan Blewett to Houston, uh, Harley Davidson to Austin, and Dylan Fawcett to Utah. All right. Switching over to Twitter now, uh, Life Love Rugby, and that's at LL Rugby. If Jon Snow played rugby, what number would he be? Uh, so I'm going to say since he like kills a lot of people, uh, a seven, like he's an undersized seven, like sort of in the Michael Hooper, uh, I guess maybe, well, Hanko Hamish is taller than Michael Hooper, but you get the point. A, a short open side that does a lot of work and gets murdered as well. Um, I, I, I just can't see him at seven because Kit Harrington is a very tiny man, very small, tiny man. So these cinematographers had to work overtime to shoot him in such a way that he didn't appear so tiny. Like, like Maisie Williams is a, is a very short woman and she's almost, almost as tall as like, not as tall as Kit Harrington, but like she, she's up. To his nose, so yeah, no, he's definitely a nine. If anything, he's so, great. I, so, he's so here's a good one. So Kit is a he's a big rugby guy. He loves rugby, and I need to find it. One of the reasons why he got into acting is because he, I think, he got like a ton of injuries playing rugby. Oh, he was a wing. Thought he was a. I definitely thought he was like a nine. So there you go. Um, well. It, Oh, gotcha. Never mind, Josh. I think he was a scrum half, and I think he was the kind of scrum half that likes to mix it up, and he broke some bones in some bad places. So there you go. Um, I So Liam would get it for, like, truthfulness. I was just going with it based on even what he does in, in Game of Thrones, which is kill people and get murdered. So there you go. Okay. Last question of the night. This one comes from Joel D. Greg, and that's Joel underscore Greg one. Who will be the biggest name uh, for the USA at, oh, who will be the biggest new name for USA rugby at the Rugby Cup in September? I don't, I don't think there's going to be any new people because I think all the new people have brought into squad in like David Ayunu and Ruben Dahas. We've seen Boyer. We've seen Gannon Moore. But uh, Gifted Bailu will be going on tour to cover the Eagles for the World Cup. So give him a shout. He will be writing articles. Maybe I should get him to write for us. On this. I would wholeheartedly support that as well. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Congratulations to him. All right. Uh, so final thoughts. Um, anybody have anything on our way out tonight? So, so we did say we were going to talk Game of Thrones on the back end because, well, I guess you guys want to just fast forward through some of that. Some of you guys enjoy the Game of Thrones chat. So I, I guess Liam really liked it and he'll explain why. And then I'll explain why I thought it was actually one of the better episodes of this train wreck of a season after him. 
Well, uh, tell you what, then, if we're going to talk Game of Thrones, let me go ahead and give our outro for folks so they know who we are and what we're about. And uh, then for those of you guys who do want to check out uh, some, uh, just a couple minutes on us, Jabber John about uh, Game of Thrones, you can stick around. So on our way out, let me just say, uh, please note the opinions expressed on this show um, are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of major league rugby teams or the league. Uh, Aaron Castro is employed by major league rugby. Liam Poach is employed by West Houston lions and Houston Sabercats. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be live on YouTube every single Monday night and available on your favorite podcast platform each and every Wednesday morning. If you like what you, what we do, please subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes feeds. It helps other folks find us. And be sure to share your own news, views, and abuse with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week. Yes. Oh, and be sure to hit us up. Sorry, Aaron, I just, just looked down at the comments. Also, hit us up on Twitter, guys. Um, we're around. We're talking rugby and Game of Thrones. Um, I'm at Corey Munson. Uh, Liam is at poach or poacher rugby. Josh is at J zero S H F E three D. And Aaron is at the Strobro. So be sure to check us out on Twitter. Uh, yeah, we hang out and talk, uh, talk all sorts of stuff on there. So be sure to give us crap. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week with hundred percent less game of Thrones talk. <laughs> so, all right. Hey, what do you think? So, so that, that Cedar Ridge, mm -hmm. you're going to have to send me some because, uh, I looked at the Bevmo and the total wine in their, uh, in their catalog. They do not stock it. So I wouldn't mind, um, having some Iowa corn whiskey, uh, as it were, since we, uh, you know, we, we trash the Iowa corn all the time, uh, Hey, it's good stuff, man. Like if you're looking for a solid bourbon. So wait, is it like literally like, you know, fermented corn? Yep. That's yeah. Well, that's, what, that's, what, that's what most whiskey malts are. They have a lot of corn in them to include scotch or Irish whiskey. Oh, oh. Well, I can tell you that one thing that has a lot of whiskey in it on a Saturday night. And that is, that is me. <laughs> So yeah, um, what, did you, what did you think, Liam? So, so I, I haven't been as critical of this season as a lot of other people have, other than a few glaring issues that I I just am not getting over. As somebody who studied film in college, I'm a lot more bothered by the damn Starbucks cup um, than I wish I was. Okay, let's so let's, let's no, just, uh, just to attack the editing here. So you had you had the Starbucks cup. You had you had uh, Nikolai Kosterwaldo's real hand behind uh, Lena Headey's back, and then this plastic water bottle. And last uh, last episode, you also had not last episode, but two weeks ago, you had uh, the dragon scorching uh, the city without Danny writing it. So, yep, uh, just. It, I just know I, I I work in a studio in Hollywood, and I just know for a fact it is somebody's job to watch these episodes and find shit like that. Like it is a literal like you had one job scenario. But anyway, like other than, other than that, um, one of the 
big plot lines that um, that me and Aaron agree with is just was Jamie's character development and his decision to leave Winterfell and go back to Cersei. Uh, however, where me and Aaron are going to eventually disagree, though, is in the character arc of Tyrion. Uh, I think Tyrion's decision to go back and find the bodies of his brother and sister, I think, uh, speaks a lot to the fact that Tyrion in the show has always had this sort of intrinsic you know, devotion to his family that, you know, is one of the aspects of himself that he really does hate. But at the, at, at the, at the end of the day, he does accept the fact that he's a Lannister and, you know, throughout the show, he has shown, he has shown concern. He's shown even faith in his brother and sister as, you know, as to whether or not they could be, you know, good human beings. We saw him try to appeal to Cersei while by mentioning her children and how he always thought she was a good mother. I think, you know, when you grow up with somebody, you know, who, who's bad, like, who, or who turns out bad in, in, in adulthood, you know, you, you know, you see that human side of, of them that others, you know, tend to not. And I think that was kind of, you know, the, the point with, with Tyrion is that despite what they may have become, these were his siblings. He saw the human aspect of them. And, you know, he definitely did feel, you know, a few monicums of remorse about killing his father. He brings it up on several occasions. And I think that's just kind of a you know the, a textbook side effect of you know of PTSD and grief. Um, so big ups to uh, uh, to Peter Dinklage and the way he portrayed this character. Um, I didn't have the whole choosing of Bran the Broken as king. It just was just too simple and too fast. I thought you know one big issue I've had with this season has really been pacing, and I thought. Again, Peter Dinklage is is such a great actor. Sophie Turner, I I think, is a pretty good actor for for the part that she you know for the part that she's playing. And honestly, the, I I just it was so funny when she told her uncle to sit down. Just yeah, so good good episode. You know, not the best season, but not the worst. I, not as bad as people think. I would say. If I went off this episode and purely went from the last episode and how it built to that, Act One's writing was really good. I, I thought they really destroyed Tyrion's character, mate, making him this really sappy person. But writing and directing over overall of this episode, I thought Act One was very good. I was like, man, this is going to be a good episode, even though I know the end because I sort of read spoilers and kind of figured it out before the spoilers. Um, and then my girlfriend freaking told me that Tormund came back from the north and killed Danny. Like, that was a spoiler. I was like, you... Uh, and then I went up, like, because she doesn't watch it with me. She only watches Scary Shit during the day. Uh, so I was like, you freaking liar. Oh my gosh. But, uh, yeah, I really don't... Like, Tyrion had way too many sappy bullshit speeches in this for me. Um... Which is, like, he was such a, like, strongly developed character throughout the series, right? Uh, the sappy bullshit, like, family uh, send-off at the end of the show with King's Landing somehow being rebuilt in four weeks was beyond stupid. Um, somehow, no one says, you know, hey, even though the part where Jon Snow hadn't been killed by the by the... Unsullied was kind of weird. Like, I, there's no fucking way that Grey Worm doesn't just run him through with a spear and just keep him posted on the wall, and then just go ham because the Dothraki and and uh, Unsullied 
team seem to be just coming out of the woodwork, just regeneration. It's like uh, Warhammer 40k or or something like that. Uh, the the kings the the kings council that chose Bran was really dumb. Uh, I, I guess I I sort of understand the character of Edmund Trolley when you really think about it and like go in depth. It's it's sort of tragic there because he's had an, a, a rough life per se and probably would be a decent king. But uh, everyone going, yay, Bran, baby. Let's have, let, let's elect our kings now. Let's elect an absolute monarch just like they do on Naboo. I brought a Star Wars reference just like they do on Naboo. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Dan, man, Dan. that's just cold. That's like hot <laughs> cold. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? This game might have been, this game, the, the Game of Thrones might have been better if it ended with, um, have you ever seen uh, Apocalypse? Um, a, it's not Apocalypse Now. It's it, it's some Mel Gibson directed movie about the Mayan, um, oh, like about uh, Apocalypto. Yeah, Apocalypto. And you know how spoiler it ends with them on the beach, like seeing like a big ship like out in the distance and realizing yeah. the problems are petty compared to what's about to come. If the last shot of Game of Thrones had just been a, an Imperial Star Destroyer from Star Wars <laughs> moving in the distance and everybody just kind of stops, that I would have been great. So, so Yara Greyjoy goes, you know, Danny was our queen, and then all of a sudden accepts Bran as king. That was bullshit. And then Dorne going, especially after, so Sansa goes, no, little brother, the North fought to be free, and we will be free. And then Dorne just going, yeah, we'll stay, bro. No, Dorne's out. Like, Dorne's the first one out. Like, you don't, especially since since his family is no longer part of the kingdom, dude has no household knights. He's he's freaking screwed here. Like he's gonna die, and then you're just gonna go right back into the next thing because if you're not going by hereditary bloodline and you're not having a real democracy, uh, just having the dude that is the the memory of the place, and he has to hang out with the heart tree. Instead of just, you know, reading books, you know, having a library to have all your memories is, is kind of dumb. I, at the end of the day, like the best claimant to the throne got like shipped uh, to the wall. But uh, guess what? He became king beyond the wall because um, he looked back, good old Aegon Targaryen looked back and they closed the gate on him. And they said, boss, we love you. But, uh. You deserve to be free. At least, at least he, Ghost reunited was, with, he reunited with Ghost. At least Ghost is still alive. That's all I gotta say, man. Ghost like, got his pet. He got Ghost was like the so so abused like pet of the entire series. Oh, Ghost is Boba Fett. Very rarely seen, but just badass, and everybody just wants him. Wants to see more of him constantly, but they just never do. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I if, if this is sort of how it ends in the books, I'm going to be annoyed, uh, sort of rooting for an R or a, a, an egg and uh, and Danny sort of thing. That would be kind of cool. But <sighs> at least there will be like three to four thousand pages of build up to get to Bran 
Like, there's going to be a lot of details flushed out to where somehow the children of the forest had this fucking master plan to where, you know, the Three-Eyed Raven takes over. Like, sort of creating a long night and stemming a long night and all that. Yeah. So, so, so here's a question that I've been having um, basically all day. So, if Bran sees the future, does he have the ability to manipulate events to bend the future to his will? All right, hold on. I had this exact same thought, and I don't think I think Bran sees many futures. I think it's kind of like a Doctor Strange sort of situation where he's not omniscient, or, or no, more like a Doctor Manhattan sort of thing. He's not omniscient. He just sees, you know, how everything can kind of turn out, you know, in in one way or another. And I think I don't think he gets, I don't think he gets a a, a coherent, you know you know, like, like timeline of what's going to happen. I think he kind of gets events. Who knows, man? I don't know the way of wargs and ravens. He, he, he may see that he, he probably sees some type of future. It probably doesn't. He's not at the stage where he can just see the future. Like, so we don't know where, like, I think the three, the previous three eyed Raven was the three eyed Raven for a couple hundred years. So he obviously could see everything. Uh, but that, that would make sense. But the dude can have no children and he's confined to a wheelchair. So I, I just see all the rules of Westeros sort of like actually taking, going back into effect once he's dead. Uh, you well, know, well, we're also assuming that it's going to be a happily ever after. Bullshit, somebody doesn't fucking kill him. <laughs> like, like, well, like 10 years from now, somebody's going to... Think, you think Euron Greyjoy is like the last of the psychopaths from the Iron Islands? Like... <laughs> So that was the biggest, one of the biggest faux pas, I, I guess, from this whole series, is that you're all, everyone saw how sadistic in the show and psycho and evil Ramsey was. Well, Euron makes Ramsey look like a middle schooler. Like, he, he raped two of his brothers. One of them had grayscale. Like, was incapacitated by, by gray. Like, it was, Euron's an evil He's an evil bro. He, he's nasty. So I, I guess portraying that would have been tough because he was evil. So if um, if I were to have my druthers and could pick any one character to have a spinoff, and I realize that all the spinoffs are prequels or there's not going to have any of the primary cast. I understand that. I'm just saying in my perfect dream world, I would follow Arya across the ocean all day, every day, because I want to see where she's going, and I want to know what's west of Westeros. I really do. Yeah, I don't know. Or Tormund, um, Tormund and Jon Snow. Or just a, a series that cuts back, it just follows the Starks, you know, but just like, but like, you know, kind of like Game of Thrones sort of did, but I don't know, more of their own storylines. I'm so tired. All right, guys, uh, let's do some final thoughts on Game of Thrones and then wrap her up for the night. Um, yeah, so eight years, I guess nine years, because we had to wait an extra year. And kind of a, I guess if they were going to say it was a bittersweet ending, it was more of a bitter ending because it was it just kind of sucked. I'm happy with it. I don't, it's not perfect, but it's not Dexter. Fair enough. Well, thank you, everybody, who uh, stayed with us throughout the extra innings here. And we will be back with, uh, like I said, 100% less Game of Thrones talk next week.
uh, right here on YouTube. That's Monday night and on your favorite podcast podcast platform Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earful of Dirt. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then. Thank you.